0: Hey, listeners, here's a really big understatement in today's world. The only thing you can count on in life is change. So change we have done here at RBMA. Uh, We are converting our annual radiology marketing conference called SPARK, S-P-A-R-K, all caps, big word. Our 2020 SPARK conference will be entirely virtual. That's right. Monday, November 9th and Tuesday, November 10th. The pre-conference workshops will be held on Sunday, November 8th from 1 to 5 p.m. And you can join SPARK virtually, and attend keynote, general, and all concurrent sessions from the comfort of your own space, whether that space is in your office, at your home, or some other undisclosed location. You'll be able to visit with sponsors, network with colleagues during a happy hour, and attend a Facebook Live presentation of our famous Quest Awards for marketing excellence in radiology so offer one low price which includes access to session recordings after the conference that you can share with other key folks within your organization that price is 450 dollars. it's almost like giving away education so i would encourage you all to go online today go to rbma.org forward slash spark all caps s-p-a-r-k take a look at this virtual conference I think you're gonna be pleased and you'll probably want to sign right up. Hey listeners, welcome back to A Word with Bob. This is Bob Still, Executive Director of RBMA. And uh, today we have a a very interesting conversation with our president, our newly inducted president, Linda Wilgus from the uh, Northwest Radiological Network in in, uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, before I begin, though, just a few comments. Uh, here it is uh, right before Memorial Day. Speaking of Indiana, we we get into some nice conversation with uh, Linda about the Indianapolis 500. But um, <clears throat> as, I, as I sit here, I, I just can't get over the proverb, you know, may you live in interesting times, and boy, do we ever. Um, this kind of rubber band uh, emotions we've had, you know, the world or America closes down around March 13th. It's now uh, mid-May and we're starting to talk about reopening. Uh, We have uh, many RBMA practices that I've talked to our uh, CEOs and administrators. They are reopening. I'm hearing numbers that maybe 60, they're at now 60 or 70 percent of of, uh, pre-COVID volumes. That's really great news. Yet we're still cautioned by uh, what we don't know about the virus um, and um, how we are going to handle kind of cluster outbreaks. So I just, uh, I'm like everyone else in America. I'm, I'm back and forth, but uh, still remain cautious and still kind of quarantining and social distancing and uh, figuring out how we do that. So I just want to encourage everyone to hang in there. We're going to learn things about our organizations and about each other that we didn't know before and one of the things we're going to learn is that we are a very very creative people and These challenging times force us to be creative to figure out new and interesting ways to uh, uh, Do do what we do every day which may uh, create revenues that we didn't know we had it may cut expenses in areas that we didn't know we could cut but it makes us look at things very very creatively and i can tell you at rbma our staff is very very engaged in that process so uh, you're going to hear more as we go through the spring about how we're trying to create a new rbma that includes many virtual opportunities for learning and networking and uh, i can you can be rest assured that uh, this this will not stop Uh, we've RBMA has created programming for 52 years to uh, teach our members, and, and we're going to continue to do that in, in new, innovative, and uh, uh, very active learning ways. So hang in there with us, hang in with each other. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly get through this. On to Linda Wilgus. Linda is another uh, uh, in, the, in the long line of strong women leaders we've had in RBMA. We're so glad that she uh, has stepped up and accepted the role of president of RBMA. She is a uh, an interesting leader who's gone through some very uh, difficult times in her own uh, life. Uh, she, uh, as she will tell her story but uh, strong women uh, become strong because of adversity and Linda has faced that within her her life and her career. And it's made her a leader uh, above other leaders. So, you know, I could go on and on about Linda Wilgus, but uh, let's hear her story directly from her. Enjoy the listen. Well, welcome, Linda Wilgus, to A Word with Bob.
1: Glad to be here, Bob.
0: Yeah, through our uh, coronavirus uh, times here, um, we're not able to do these interviews live, so we're actually for our listeners doing this on Zoom. We live on Zoom now, right? We do.
1: It's a Zoom world,
0: and we're lucky to be in it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, right. We, yeah. I I was uh, reflecting on uh, what if we didn't have Zoom and in the internet? Uh, you know, I guess I guess we would have called that polio in the 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was reflecting with my uh, older brother and sister uh, about polio. I don't, uh, I don't know if you were one of the first people that got polio vaccines or one of the second wave maybe. Or... Yeah,
1: I got the big thing in my shoulder.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, my, my brother and sister are about 9, 10 years older than me, and they remember the first polio vaccine uh, in the early 50s. And uh, one day, my mother was beside herself because my sister came home from school, probably first second grade, with a stiff neck and a headache, which was one of the early signs of polio.
1: Okay. And
0: uh, and that took I think six years to get a vaccine, polio vaccine, before you know. And then my first recollection is we. All went over to, uh, I went to Catholic school growing up. We all went over to public school. It was on a Sunday after mass. We walked over to Harrison Hill uh, Elementary School in Fort Wayne and got our sugar cube. You know, everybody lined up and and got the cube. And that was like, that must have been uh, 19, maybe 61. You know, I was probably seven years old. And um, so that was clear 10 years after that you know, after the real outbreak, which is fascinating that it yeah. took that long. Uh, so, obviously, pre-internet and pre-everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we made it through. You're making it through. You're, uh, Linda, you said your, your practice is starting to reopen again?
1: It is, yeah. So, uh, my practice is in Indianapolis, Indiana. Mm-hmm. We actually cover about two-thirds of the state, though, um we read for 18 hospitals in the state of indiana have a couple of our own imaging centers so the crisis hit the state of indiana around march 16th that's Mm -hmm. when you know right after the nba you know announced that they were you know halting the season the Mm -hmm. governor uh closed schools you know that it became real real quick then and um so you know i i look back on that day now um what would have taken us probably six months to do in one afternoon, we sent an entire workforce, billing office work, administrative office workforce home. And, you know, in any other circumstance that probably would have been, you have to have a meeting, you have to plan, yeah. you have policies and procedures and, right. you know, it would have taken a six month process to, go to a remote workforce that we did in in one afternoon, because the, yeah. everything was happening so quickly. But um, for the month of March, we experienced between um, 40 to 50% reduction in volume. April was where the, um, the height of the crisis was hitting our state, and we had a 70% reduction in volume. Uh, May the beginning of May, um, our governor uh, announced that he would allow non-essential procedures to be done. And we're, we're slowly starting to ramp back up. Yeah. Um, so sitting right now between back to 30 to 40% reduction in volume.
0: How are you? Okay. Um, so it's, it's gotten back that, you know, you've gotten back that quick in a couple yeah, of weeks. Now it's yeah, it's only
1: been three weeks.
0: So yeah. I don't okay.
1: know what we're seeing as people that, you know, held off. And it'll, you know, held off on their imaging during the crisis. And this is a bolus, but mm-hmm. we still may have, you know, um, some reductions in the future. i not, no, no one's going to a playbook for this. So uh, we might as well pick up a magic eight ball and, um, right. you know, predict what's going to happen next. So yeah. uh, we're uh, leveraging data uh, real time and, and just trying to make the best decisions we can.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating when I was managing a practice, we had four women that we, we allowed to work at home. And uh, this was pre-HIPAA Very days.
1: progressive
0: of you. Oh, it was progressive, yeah. And, uh, you know, we had meetings about it. We wrote policies about it. And it was still kind of in the paper world. I mean, they would come in, get reports, take them home code, you know, do all the stuff you need to do. And it kind of ended when HIPAA and all of the security stuff came around, we couldn't figure out a way for them to really be secure in their dealings in home, you know, where were their workstations? You know, one Mm -hmm. was right in the living room. And, you know, it was just a little dicey for me. But here, Mm -hmm. here with the crisis, everybody goes home and within 48 hours, everybody's working out of their house, you know, it's mm-hmm. amazing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And a lot of practices or a lot of businesses said they had higher production, which is fascinating. Yeah.
1: Well, I can tell you my employee satisfaction is very high right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you do have higher productivity. You've taken out commute time uh, right. out of a work day. So you at least right. get an extra hour there of people yeah. commuting to the office yeah. back. And, um, and they're not constrained to that eight to five. Do you know what at I night. mean? So they might off right. for an hour, but you're now getting some productivity at night or on the weekend. So, right. yeah, the staff that we've sent home, employee satisfaction is extremely high, and um, and and productivity
0: is strong. So, have you ever done a calc- Have you just for kicks done the calculation? Uh, well, we have a lot more employees than RBMA does, but I did that once for our employees because we were talking about that last year, working virtually. What it cost everybody to drive to work. Have you ever done that calculation? I have not, no. it, I've done it's it for my
1: doc.
0: You've done it what? For your I've doctors? I've
1: done it for the physicians to drive oh. to various hospitals and things like that, but I've yeah. never done
0: it for the It's an eye opener for folks to see what it really costs them to drive to work, you know, just based on the 52 cents a mile, the IRS, is it 52 or 54 now? Uh, the IRS uh, reimbursement, it's, it's kind of an eye-opener when you think about what Americans pay to drive to work and for the last eight weeks really haven't had to pay anything to drive to work you know do, do most of your employees live in and around uh, Carmel where your offices or
1: uh, you know we actually have they're scattered all about so we've yeah. got some that live in rural Indiana or southern Indy uh, you mm. know the donut counties that surround Indianapolis yeah. um, we're, we're with a place. So, um, yeah, we've, we've, uh, it's been a time saver. And, um, I think all of us are going to start looking strongly at how, you know, mm-hmm. post crisis, do we maintain a remote workforce? Yeah. Northwest is doing the exercise right now to see what mm-hmm. that looks like.
0: Have, uh, your doctors are, are, do many of them work remotely during the, the height of the crisis or
1: Yes. So Um. we really had a um, strong presence of physicians that read at home anyway. Mm. We would use, um, uh, 75% of our physicians had a read at home workstation to help when there were, um, you know, excessive volume on the list and we were worried about, you know, not meeting our turnaround time. So, um many, many of our docs could read from home, but this accelerated pushing out workstations mm-hmm. to all of our physicians.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, you know, we were, you know, only putting what was absolutely necessary um, patient facing at the hospital mm-hmm. and would read the rest of the studies remotely, either from a workstation like here at the business office, a reading room right. here at the business office, or from their home. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: And I think some of that's going to, you know, um, stick after right. the crisis. I think we yeah. will have a dedicated seats at folks'
0: homes. So. Yeah, I've heard from other folks. You know, the doctors kind of really liked it. You know, for a lot of the yeah. same reasons we all like it. Or, uh, you know, but we do miss that. You do miss that touch. I mean, we you and I have talked about that that uh, personal touch that we all have, uh, that yeah. that face. You know. Patient-facing or face-to-face touch you have in business, sometimes you you really need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing with your staff to kind of stay in touch? What are you doing anything cool and unique uh, besides Zoom? (laughs) Well,
1: I'm taking a cue from Bob Still, to be honest.
0: Oh, good. Uh Uh-huh.
1: So actually, this week I'm doing a weekly podcast.
2: Uh Oh, okay. uh,
1: And it's just going to be the NWR Weekly Roundup and uh, my marketing director is going to film it and I'm gonna give, you know, corporate updates and shout outs to, you know, folks I wanna recognize. And we have a internal SharePoint site that we're gonna Mm -hmm. post it there. And, you know, in the very, I'm gonna end every uh, podcast with all my contact information, my email, myself, direct dive uh, to enable more two-way communication, but um, that's you know, uh, so I'm going to go forward with is a weekly podcast of uh, corporate updates. So oh, that's, that's great. My, yeah. So I'm I uh, I took a cue from you, Bob. Oh, and, thank uh, you.
0: Well, I like to talk. You know, grew up in this big Irish family in Indiana, up in Fort Wayne, and uh, there's a lot of talking. My uncle said, uh, "What did he say? He got new. He got a new set of teeth, and when he took them out of his mouth, they still kept. You know, they still kept talking." Uh, that's, <laughs> From a long line of Kelly's Irish talkers. So, uh, you know, we, le- we learned how to do that. I grew up with seven kids in the family, and you did a lot of talking around the dinner table. Uh, oh, we, weren't yeah. af- we weren't afraid to share, you know, yeah. so to speak. So, I, I, you mentioned uh, the Donut County. So, I need to mention this. So, another would be a lot of Indiana references here in this interview, a couple of Hoosiers. <laughs> uh, there was a picture in some paper or some publication online. Of different states and opening up, and there was a picture of folks lined up six feet apart at Long's Bakery in Indianapolis to buy yep. donuts. Right? I mean, yep. I can almost yep. taste them melt in my hand.
1: <laughs> I uh, a friend of mine was there Mother's Day.
0: Oh really? And it was
1: a 45-minute wait. Uh, he he was getting donuts for his mother from Long's <laughs> Bakery, and for those that are listening, that's just a you know oh. iconic donut place here, here in India. It's been around forever, but yes, uh, you know, six feet apart around the corner, um, (laughs) uh, get donuts on mother's day.
0: Yeah. We, uh, Barb and I uh, lived in Indianapolis first for one year. Uh, I was a senior at IU, but doing student teaching in Indianapolis and uh, over on the East side at a brand new school, Forest Manor school. I remember the name of it. And it was an open concept school school. and uh, kind of a model school, they called it. Uh, The the faculty was very diverse, uh, half male, half female, you know, very diverse uh, culturally. And uh, so anyway, Barb and I lived on the west side on 34th Street in an apartment. And she worked at Indiana University Hospital in the psychiatric department. So I would drive her in whatever that parkway is to IU Hospital. And uh, Long's Bakery is down there. That's how we discovered Long's Bakery at like 630 in the morning. It was like, oh, wow. So that was a few pounds ago. So
1: yeah.
0: Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So as a Hoosier, you also identify with pork tenderloin sandwiches as well, right?
1: Bigger than your head.
0: <laughs> I know.
1: The bigger the better.
0: I know. Yeah, they just have a, a guy in the back with a big sledgehammer pounding that pork down flat. <laughs> well, where's where's your favorite pork tenderloin sandwich? Everybody has a bar that they get them at. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's called the Friendlies. It's in Zionsville, Indiana.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: they, it's my favorite pork tenderloin sandwich. Uh-huh. Oh,
0: that's great. So, uh, uh, Linda, you grew up in Indiana. Where, where did you grow up? I did. Up? Yeah. Uh,
1: so, you know, uh, just, couple blocks from the indianapolis 500 so oh, i grew really? up at 30th in, yeah grew up at 30th and georgetown mm. um it's a uh, town uh, embedded inside indianapolis called eagledale uh, mm-hmm. i too went to private catholic schooling saint gabriel's and cardinal ritter oh you
0: did and, you went to cardinal ritter yeah. okay uh-huh mm-hmm. yeah
1: but uh yeah i grew up just a couple blocks from the track it's uh i still have several tickets in the third turn and uh, I am a um, a race rat. So, mm-hmm.
0: so uh, what are the, uh, did they cancel it this year? I mean, what, what are the they plans? They
1: yeah. rescheduled it to the end of August. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, hopefully yeah. it'll
0: take I Again, a reflection back, I will never forget that year when we lived on 34th street. I get home from teaching and I hear this roar. It was like, you know, the first of May. And I'm like, what the heck is that sound? And I didn't realize the track opened for practice in first mm-hmm. of May. And, you know, those guys are out there five, six cars at a time going around. And, oh, my God, that was for five bucks. You could go in and just jaw dropping. So you you know what I'm talking about.
1: I know. do. I really do. Lots of fun. Lots now, of good what, memories.
0: Yeah. What did your parents do?
1: So my, uh, bo- uh, so my father worked for the GM uh, stamp plant, uh, GM plants uh-huh. there on White River uh-huh. Parkway, Indianapolis, yeah. Indiana. Uh, mom was a stay at home mom and actually uh, did in house daycare for neighbors oh, uh, no all along oh, okay. yeah. until yeah. I think I was a freshman in high school when she uh-huh. finally went to work uh, for That's a title insurance company.
0: Oh, that's great! Yeah, did you, you have siblings?
1: I do. Um, yeah. I have two brothers, uh, two brothers and two sisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're
0: all they're all around you. There, I mean, you got a close knit family. Yeah,
1: do yeah, yeah we we never left the area. Um, that's just kind of a rule. We all are yeah. uh, kind of within 20 miles of each other and oh, that's together cool. often. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we have, our four kids are kind of coast to coast. Uh, I have a son in LA and a son in New York and a couple of daughters that are close to us here, but uh, it's been fun on, uh, you know, we always could have done it, but now we get together on Zoom and, you know, do our thing and it's a lot of fun. Um, while we're mentioning that, our son's an actor in LA. He's filming a commercial this week uh, from his apartment. Wow. <laughs> it's, all the production has stopped. And so the production advertising companies have figured out how to do this with actors and actresses in their apartment. They'll send him a camera. He'll get it set up. The director will be on. It's really fascinating. So uh, we're anxious to hear how. You'll
1: we'll have to share the clip with members. Yeah, Well, right. we don't.
0: well you'll see it. It'll, it's, I can't tell you <laughs> what, but it's, it's uh, they film these for uh, mainly online. There's a lot of online advertising. So yeah, we'll, we'll let you know. <laughs> Is it? course it doesn't matter how many people watch it you get paid the same but it's it's fascinating but actors do uh because they now have to get use their homes so uh they're all in a union they're all in sag and you get paid extra because you know you're at your home wearing your clothes so it's all i I mean i'm sure they saturday night live all these i mean they're they get paid extra because they're working out of their homes it's fascinating so it's it's pretty cool. Great. So um, you uh, you went to IUPUI as we say. E- I did. Ui Pui, right? I
2: did. And uh, mm-hmm. how'd you get
0: interested in accounting? I, I'm always fascinated by that because I've never been interested in accounting, but uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, so I I kind of took a non-traditional path to my college degree. Uh-huh. So um, I actually married out of high school. Oh, did you? So I was uh-huh. a military wife for okay. several years. Yeah, and had my children first and uh when uh, leaving the military career was when i uh, was at home with three children and decided mm-hmm. i would go to school on the nights and the weekends yeah so yeah. uh, IUP Indi- iupui which is a indiana university purdue university and a mm-hmm. um, you know a consolidation of those two campuses was you know, right downtown. You know, very close. So um, that's why I chose to go there for my degree. And um, actually, I would always do odd and end jobs, and mm. always in healthcare. Oh, really? And always oh. in some form of accounting. You know, just oh, doing. Wow. You know, being a bookkeeper or you mm. know, doing filling. I used to fill out HIPAA fifteen hundreds by hand for a OB uh, gynecologist. Oh, um, well, did
0: you really work in the back office, right?
1: yeah so uh, i've always been in healthcare, and i've always done some level of accounting so i just gravitated to an accounting degree
2: uh-huh.
1: and um so when i graduated from iupui and you're doing the circuit you know uh, right. accounting students right. get interviewed much mm. like doctors you, know, you hit right. the different firms and you get interviewed yeah. a local cpa firm here in indianapolis who actually had a very big healthcare consulting practice saw mm all of, not just my degree in accounting, but all the experience that I had, back office experience, and they oh, thought that would yeah. be valuable, yeah. so I yeah. um, I joined that accounting firm, and I worked for them for about three years, and, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know about any of the other RBMA members that may have had a similar path, but, you know, I didn't know if I would, knew what I was talking about, or I'm like, who am I to consult right out of college, right, right, right. so my, um, my actual goal was to go to private industry in the healthcare area, and roll up my sleeves and you know just do the work of a of healthcare so that I could you know get some street cred, some mm-hmm. experience, and then go back to public accounting mm-hmm. and consult. But um, I've never looked back. I've, oh, I've really? not gone back oh. to consulting, and I've been yeah. in uh, in the private sector now of healthcare ever since
0: but you got your CP, You got, through that you got your cpa right yeah, yeah.
1: so because yeah. i was with them for three years I, oh, yeah. uh, it takes three years under the um you know guidance of a someone who has their license so i've kept it active and current
0: yeah oh that's yeah. really interesting it's it's kind of fascinating how these you know part-time pick them up summer jobs all of a sudden develop into your career because you yeah. understood what a yeah. hit oh, from 1500 was yeah mm-hmm. That's, that's really interesting. Did, uh, uh, you you went to work at a hospital, right? Or after the accounting? Yeah.
1: Yeah. When I first left um, uh, the accounting firm, I went to work for an HCA facility uh, here in India with the women's hospital and I was their controller. So I got some really good uh, exposure and experience to hospital accounting, cost reports, uh, for profit right. healthcare. So um, that was a really good learning experience for me before coming over to Northwest.
0: You were working as a controller at about the same time I was getting my master's in healthcare policy at uh, Penn State. And okay. uh, I remember one of the healthcare accounting classes we had was taught by a CFO of a hospital. And it was basically a case study type of course. And you would give us these case studies of these small hospitals that were just going right down the tubes, you know.
2: <laughs>
0: we had to figure out, you know, how much cash they had left and how long would it last. And it was like, you know, probably should shut the doors and be done with it. You know, that was the, that was the right answer. But that was really about the time that hospitals were starting to get a little shaky. I mean, with the, uh, uh, all of the un- uncompensated care, uh, it was fascinating. And uh, I I had the experience of working for a large hospital in Delaware um, as their lobbyist. So I got real involved in uh, the early 90s with uncompensated care. That was the big battle cry then. And Mm. I don't don't think it's really changed much. But uh, did you see, uh, I was reading an article today that the coronavirus crisis now has caused big insurance companies to like rethink Obamacare participation. I don't know if you saw that.
1: I have not seen
0: that, yeah. Yeah, there's so, some, some, well, uh, you know, yeah.
1: They say one in five Americans right now are unemployed. So right. I think that they're going to be um, going to the exchanges to get insurance. And right.
0: I, I recall it, it might be a Healthcare care group that in some states is going back into the exchanges to sell and uh, Cigna and a couple others were considering it because they know that's where the, you know, that's where the patients are mm-hmm. you know, right now. Yeah. Uninsured. So um, you, that, that's really interesting that you worked at So you understand kind of what the hospital's going through, right? Yeah. On I a did. daily basis. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, my stint with the hospital was uh, so if you remember what the mid nineties were like, uh-huh. the hospitals had been on a, where they wanted to own physician groups,
2: oh, right. and
1: it was still, uh, you know, still fee for service. We didn't have any of the value-based or population healthcare um, environments that we have today. But uh, they found that to be not a profitable mm-hmm. venture for them. So right. one of the first things I did for the hospital was to help extract these physicians that they had hired and help them at, out of the hospital. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, umbrella and mm-hmm. prop them up in their own private practice. So mm-hmm. I helped them secure space, find billing companies, get managers and roll them out to be independent physicians again. So that was one of the yeah. things that yeah. I did in my role as controller. So.
0: My my healthcare attorney well, healthcare friend said, attorney said yeah, and we made money actually, on both sides of those transactions <laughs> when the doctors sold the hospitals and when they spun them back out. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I remember that era very clearly. In managing a radiology practice, uh, there were there were constant conversations about should we, should we not, uh, and the and the hospital never was really interested, never was in interested in buying the group. Still, buying, still aren't, but, uh, still aren't, but uh, there were these constant conversations with other groups about merging. Should they, and it's still going on today. It hasn't changed in 20 years, you know, or 25 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. Did you um? Is that where you you kind of met the radiologist and started down this radiology track?
1: Uh, so actually, a gentleman, and you may know this person, Bob Gallup. I don't know if you know Bob Gallup. Name sounds familiar.
0: He, I don't. I don't know him.
1: So he um, and I worked together at the CPA firm, and he first came on uh, at with Northwest Radiology as their CEO.
2: Oh. Okay.
1: Um, and um, when and then he came and got me to be the CFO. So oh. I, I knew Bob very well from our days at the accounting firm. Yeah. I followed him here. He was the executive director. I was the CFO. And then he left in 2003. And I then um, took his role as executive director.
0: So, oh, okay. Yeah. And keep the role as CFO,
1: right? I did. You yeah. know, um, numbers is my yeah. base. It tells, uh, you know, numbers tell me a story. It's how I manage. Right. So um, I wanted to keep both roles
0: yeah um my experience with radiology in indiana goes back to the 90s there was a guy named jim kearney that managed yeah, the I iu jim. you know jim mm-hmm. great guy and uh we met at an rbma meeting and hit it off and uh and then the whole iu radiology thing kind of fell apart and had to rebuild it and uh, i don't mm-hmm. know where jim is now but uh he was he was one of my early kind of mentors in this business. Yeah, yeah.
1: You might want to fact check me, Bob, but uh-huh. um, I recently heard from a colleague out of Fort Wayne oh, that uh-huh. five folks from Indiana have been RBMA presidents.
0: Five from Indiana.
1: Yeah, and that that's the largest number concentration in a single state.
0: No kidding. So.
1: I, I will back. We'll
0: go back in the archives. Uh, uh-huh. Yes, we have Rachel's listening in. Rachel, there's a project for us. But uh, I know John Sergnal, <laughs> yourself,
1: yep. mm-hmm. but
0: I don't know the other three. So uh, yeah. I got um, to think about that, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, so uh, yeah, a, a colleague who used to work at Fort Wayne Radiology shared that information with me. So. Well,
0: I'll double, I'll, we will double check that. I mean, we'll, okay. we'll have a <laughs> special, special award for that. Um, <laughs> Uh, which is an I- interesting you say that because I was doing some just thinking about Indiana like I do a lot but uh re- reflecting about when I was in college Otis Bowen was the governor
2: mm-hmm.
0: you remember doctor he was a doctor I do. mm-hmm. and uh then uh and I his son lived on the floor below me at IU at Indiana University so it, you know it's kind of even closer but uh uh, he then became secretary of health and human services for Reagan oh, and, and served, that. yeah, I was thinking about that and Azar and Seema Verma and, you know, and I was saying, mm-hmm. geez, you know, Indiana has had some pretty high level health policy people over the years, mm-hmm. uh, which has been, which is kind of interesting, you know, uh, Otis Bowen was a small town guy, uh, became a doctor, uh, family practice guy kind of and any he, as uh, health and human services that was right at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic so there were some stories about you know his work there it, it was really kind of fascinating that these small town people become you know these big leaders so yeah. uh, and and yeah. you you know Seema Verma through your uh is it the Luger yeah, we, series
1: uh, yeah so she she and I are both Luger um Series graduates. It's a program that Richard Luger set up to promote uh, uh, women uh, leaders in um, the government. And uh, then we both were members of Executive Women in Healthcare here in Indiana. So, um, so yeah, we've we've had a coffee or two, but she's uh, much more important now. And on a um,
0: different plane.
1: She is. She's had to lose that Rolodex a long time ago. And yeah.
0: Yeah, I I uh I I you know none of us you know you you can't imagine that plane once you get on that ride that rides a pretty dynamic ride. All right, we're going to take a short break. Okay. Just to get our breath. Hey RBMA listeners, I wanted to remind you that we are updating the COVID-19 RBMA research p- resource page daily. And that's going to have news, newly launched resources from all of our trusted partners. This is very, very important as we add value to our services during this very, very difficult crisis for all of our practices. So I would encourage you to visit www.rbma.org forward slash COVID COVID-19 to access these resources. Linda, you have a real keen interest. We're talking about Seema Verma, and uh, you know, that elevation all of a sudden when someone is working on a higher level. I, I had a friend years ago that found herself, she was working for the governor of Delaware when, back when I was involved there, and, and went from working for the governor of Delaware to working for President Clinton. You know, and it was pretty, uh, it, was a, it was an interesting story, you know, her story on the policy level. And, you know, the, it's just a different, a different plane. You're like running the world, you know, but you, you develop this besides interest in accounting and numbers and interest in advocacy, which is
1: yep. interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would I, quickly, and when you, um, get in healthcare, you do realize that, um, Today, much of healthcare comes out of legislation or regulation. You know, as as much as we have a private payer sector market, uh, reimbursement and um, you know claims, you know, just the whole in- healthcare environment gets its legs and its direction from legislation and regulation. So you you know that you at least have to be aware of what's going on so that you can manage your practice, but, um, you know, early on as I started to get more engaged in leadership positions in healthcare, I really did find a passion for um, health policy. Um, you know, I, um, and, and what really, and this, what draws me to it actually is that um, over my lifetime, I've had exposure to lots of different healthcare situations. Mm-hmm. so you know i mentioned i was a military wife right. so i've been exposed right. to military health care had all three of my daughters in military hospitals mm-hmm. and tricare and champus so mm-hmm. i've navigated that world yeah. um when i was putting myself through college many times i was uninsured with small children or had to use assistance so i understand what that world looks like
2: yeah.
1: um yeah. i was a in consulting, so I feel I've had um, a wide exposure to the different entities at healthcare um, uh, consultants, um, you know, uh, that experience was um, exposed to me and, you know, at hospital and then now at Northwest Radiology, not only am I managing a physician practice, but I'm an employer. So I'm buying health insurance and I'm, you know, managing pharma claims on behalf of my, um, Uh, shop here. And then lastly, uh, you know, I was my mother's healthcare um, EOA. And so I was actively involved in her Medicare issues. So I really think that I've got a wide breadth of what the healthcare environment is. So I won't say that I, uh, when, when, when all of a, when I'm reading about health policy, I'm already thinking about how the different stakeholders in the healthcare industry are going to line up behind something. And, you know, and I think about, well, this is how this is going to impact this industry. And, oh boy, that's going to be really hard to bill. You can't ever get that process going. And, you know, I just like to think about that kind of stuff. I don't, I won't ever, you know, um, say that I have the answers to everything, but I like to read policy and talk about how it will impact um, different segments of the um, different segments of our healthcare industry. Um, I, it, it, it is a passion of mine. I, um, you know, have been involved in the Federal Affairs uh, Committee with RBMA right. for many, right. many years. I, um, I I absolutely enjoy reading health policy and trying to figure out how it will impact radiology and what I can do to help the patients that we serve. Uh, because really, that's my spin. I'm at every juncture that I just described of my life and my exposure to the healthcare. Um, I I was either a patient or trying to help patients. So that's um, it's a it's just a passion of mine.
0: It's really interesting. Um, from your perspective, uh, you've you've been a patient or an advocate in a lot of different government systems. You know, the military, yeah. or you said you were uninsured. Had you know, with little kids, uh, I I don't I don't know if Indiana at the time that the CHIP program was that in place. I mean, child health care not, not, not yet. When I was, but uh, in you
2: that
0: know, situation. Um, what is your kind of broad view of uh, you know, universal health care, or you know, this great debate we have, and now we're back to it because so many people lost their insurance last eight weeks. What? Where's your head around that? Because I, I find that to be an interesting conversation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and 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 a, not only an interesting conversation, but it also falls on a lot of political divides. But, right. Um, yeah. I will say that I believe health care to be a right mm-hmm. um, and not a benefit. Mm-hmm. and and there's a difference between uh, paying for health care having access to health care um, but you know what I do know I mean look just look at our crisis today and how devastated the healthcare environment has is I mean I, there isn't an industry that's not devastated you know, in right. tourism right. Right. I mean there isn't but this is the most Fundamental thing that we had to make sure we had right,
2: yeah, uh, yeah.
1: to battle this crisis. And um, and 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 uh, hospitals are suffering, physician groups are suffering, you know, patients yeah. are suffering. So um, you know, I, I do believe healthcare and healthcare access is a right and not a benefit. I think there's enough money in the system that we could do this, right. and we could even right. do in a free market environment uh, for, you know, and I, you know, someday over a glass of wine, Bob, we'll talk about that. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, you know um, I think the healthcare is going to come out of this crisis dramatically different than what it looked like going in. Mm-hmm. And I think we will realize that we need to make sure that our safety net is there and yeah. Yeah. sufficiently paid
0: for. Right. Yeah. I, um, right, yeah, I, um, I have this, I have this saying that I say every patient needs an advocate, you know, and we got a lot of patients right now and uh, a
1: lot of them don't have,
0: have advocates in there saying, Hey, you know, you're doing the right thing. What are you doing? You know, that kind of thing. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's really kind of an interesting dilemma we have because we do have so many people out of work and without their health insurance. So I, I, I don't think we've seen the end of it. I, I have trouble. I don't know how you not. I have trouble not being cynical, uh, you know. And I'm a very positive person. But I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it'll be a it'll be a real challenge. Yeah, I I've been saying we have a uh, potential PR issue in physician practices with all these uh, all the COVID patients who will say, "Oh, I had COVID 19, but but never were tested and you know sent home from mm-hmm. the ER." Doctor said you got it, but we're not going to test you. You know, go right. home and get better. And people have. I, I have uh, two examples of people I know that that happened to. And I specifically asked him, Did, "Were you tested?" No, but I know I had it. So mm-hmm. I can see what's going to happen when the bill comes. You know, yep. I'm, not pay- I'm not paying. I'm not paying that copay. Job. Right.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I haven't figured out how we're going to over- overcome that that PR nightmare over the next six months. You know, or a year. Yeah.
1: Future conversations to have with our legislators. I can yeah, see that. Yeah, right,
0: now. right. Mm-hmm. Do, have you found uh, legislators and policymakers to? Do they? Do they un, Do you think they understand healthcare a little bit better than maybe I did when I was in the state senate in the '80s? You know. Uh, you know.
1: You know. A, a couple of years ago, I would have said no. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um you know, and, and, and Bob, you and I have had this conversation that when we mm-hmm. would go to the Hill to talk about a particular piece of legislation, you know, mm-hmm. we are uh, usually having it with a staffer.
0: Right. And staffers
1: oh, yeah. in DC are typically, you're 20 something year olds, right? Mm-hmm. And- um, it, They
0: wouldn't know what an ultrasound is. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> never had um, one. Yeah, right, yeah.
1: But I would say that over time, uh, first of all, uh, the associations have educated uh, yeah. DC just what healthcare is, and it's now what it what what did what was the recent statistics fifteen percent of our GDP. Uh,
2: um, yeah, mm-hmm. something yeah, so, close to that. yeah,
1: yeah, and so I think now uh, our legislators have to understand it, yeah. and um, and we are we are getting more business owners you know, that are now legislators and physicians that are now legislators. So um, I do think, you know, um, they are trying to do their best with limited resources. And I think that they um, do uh, have a better understanding than in the
0: past. Does uh, Northwest Radiology service some uh, rural hospitals and uh, critical care access, critical access hospitals?
1: We do. We really do. Yeah, we have um, of the 18 hospitals, I would probably say five to six are you know rural critical access hospitals.
2: So, yeah, um,
1: how are they? How are, are they out- faring?
2: Huh? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I mean uh, the you know um, their volumes dropped significantly. You know, 80% mm-hmm. of their revenue was derived from outpatient procedures that were right. considered essential and not being done. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, their cash on hand is you know, drained. So, you know, I very worried about rural health. Um, yeah.
2: You
1: know, uh, I, I've always said that, you know, the rural hospitals are many times the economic engine mm-hmm. of the community that they serve. The, you know, the farmers are, you know, out there farming, but their wives and their daughters and sons work in the hospital. Right. Uh, I try to get to visit the two to three times a year all the hospitals that we serve yeah. and when i'm here i'm in their cafeteria and the public comes there to eat and socialize yeah. right i mean it's like the central you know uh area for right. a community and if they close i worry about what happens to our rural towns you know well
0: yeah uh yeah many of those hospitals well they're the largest employer in the community and probably their, you know, their nurses are very highly paid in many, I mean, they're high income earners in many of those communities. Uh, I, I'm familiar with the donut around Indianapolis and they're, yeah, there's some small towns, you know. And, so. and
1: how does a rural community attract a business right. when they can't offer health care? So yeah. You, you know, yeah.
0: yeah. I've, I've often said uh, uh, Congress will really start looking at health care when, you know you figure there's a hospital in every congressional district when they start closing down there'll be a real focus and uh, this this may be the emergency that really drives that you know i yeah. I, I don't it's it's uh, we've heard a lot about other businesses in this world or in this yeah in the world right now but hospitals have been hit on both ends you know they they've got a lot of they've ha- they've had to stop the non essential but uh,
1: but yet PTSD provide care
0: yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a real challenge. There's some phenomenal stories, and I, and I'm, it'll it'll be interesting to see. And I'm sure you're in a position in Indiana where, um, people might ask you to you know serve on key, industry panels that might help out or figure out ways to help out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you um you're, you're also involved. I saw with uh it's a uh, some free clinic. Uh, are are they um. Federally Qualified Health Clinics? Yeah, tell me about that. Uh,
1: it is, it's not an FQHC. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so I was on the board. I actually, to coincide with making sure that I was uh, uh, protective of my time when I assumed the yeah. role of president yeah. of RBMA, I yeah. ended yeah. my tenure with Geneseret. But Geneseret Free Clinics is a, um, and I was on their board for about eight years. Uh-huh. They provide health care and health recovery services to the indigent in our oh, community. Wow. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they would have a free wellness clinic, um, a free um, episode clinic, uh, passed out you know, um, prescription drugs to you know, our homeless and indigent, you know, all at no cost. It was all uh, donor um, funded and mm-hmm. um, charity funded through fundraisers. Um, One of the the unique things that this clinic did, um, so when someone is living on the streets and they have an episode that causes them to go into the hospital and they're inpatient for a while, Mm -hmm. you know, hospitals need to turn beds, right? So um, length of stay is very important to them. So they typically discharge, um, you know, folks to either a skilled nursing facility or to a home for them to continue to convalesce. Um, so w- we identified a need that, you know, um, when you don't have some place to go and you can't, you're not accepted by a skilled nursing facility, you typically end back up in the ER because mm. you weren't able to complete that healing process. Right. So uh, we uh, at Genesis we actually bought two homes downtown oh, and no we yeah.
2: uh,
1: put hospital beds in them and um, we would take those discharge. Oh, discharges, wow. Yeah. And
2: transitional would,
1: care. Yeah. Yeah. Transitional mm-hmm. care. So they would finish convalescing at these facilities. And, and then while we we're there, they were there, we were able to possibly, you know, get them the social services that they needed sign right. them up for Medicaid, um, get them, you know, um, section eight housing that they needed it, right. whatever, you know, while they were in those four walls, we could help change the, hopefully get them on a better path. So, yeah. um, not always successful, but it, it it's a great organization. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, a rooted in faith, and yeah. um, it I, I I thoroughly enjoyed my time on the board. Yeah, and, yeah,
0: um, yeah. Those are great. You, it. you it sounded like you did more than just fundraising. <laughs> I mean, sometimes yeah. people want you to be on boards because you you know they, they got access it to was several a positions. Board. Huh? Yeah. That's
1: for sure. It was a working board. Mm-hmm. Those are
0: those are really cool uh, situations and and greatly needed, you know, and uh, uh, you know will be needed even more, you know, I think. So uh, you're kind of switching back to radiology. You you also get a chance because your group is part of strategic radiology to kind of volunteer there as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. you,
0: you said you're 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 working with the data committee there, and and uh, I know they've had right. a real focus on data over the years. A real yeah. They
1: have. Uh, Yeah, so um, Strategic Radiology is, um, for those that don't know, is an organization that is um, an association of groups that are um, independent private practice radiology groups. And um, the we, we come together, we network, we share best practices. We have the only patient safety organization that's dedicated, sanctioned by AHRQ, dedicated to um, radiology. Uh, do a lot of quality initiatives in strategic radiology. We, you know, uh, are, we're working with IBM Watson. Uh, you know, just, uh, just a lot of uh, really um, stuff to promote um, quality, health, uh, high quality radiology services. Um, I did chair the data committee for many, many years. I've now moved over to their advocacy committee. Okay. But, yeah, there you go. Um, yep. So, uh, in the data, yeah. So, uh, of the groups that participate with strategic radiology, they give, uh, blinded data to a, um, to strategic radiology in order to do, uh, benchmarking. Mm, so we okay. do, know physician productivity benchmarking we do um quality benchmarking turnaround time benchmarking so as a member of strategic radiology you um it's blinded so i don't Mm -hmm. know what i can see what other groups' measures are i just don't know who those other groups are but i can see how northwest does relative to other groups and um it's very very valuable in um, helping me manage my practice
0: have you found that like from when you entered into this arrangement of strategic. That your overall kind of quality, the doctors' quality, and and turn you know other measures, have you found it kind of stepped up uh, because you're talking to other groups and in that way?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. So I, you know, again, just the uh, things that I measure have yeah. increased, and the uh, um. Uh, what do I want to say? Just the, um, again, I have a high level of confidence that I'm doing that I'm managing this practice. Well, yeah. compared to the peers in my, uh, group. Yeah. Um, yeah. and we know this from RBMA mm-hmm. a paradigm
2: right. meeting, right. getting yeah. in the
1: room with other practice administrators, right?
2: Yeah. Right.
1: Sharing your knowledge is just immeasurable. It's right. Immeasurable. So yeah. I, yeah. You know, it's the best thing that comes out of a paradigm is, yeah. Getting in the room with
0: other practice administrators and just sharing yeah. what you know. Well, that's you know, what you, we miss, so we're going yeah try to recreate that virtually. We're all trying to figure that out. But I became a much better administrator or manager once I started going to RBMA meetings and just sitting in those yep. rooms, exactly and talking to somebody. You know, Jim Kearney at the time and people like that. You know, that's that's real. The uh, it's interesting. Uh, I'll as a as an analogy. Uh, When uh, the folks at Penn State here talk about when they entered the Big Ten, whatever year that was, probably 15 or more years ago, uh, everybody thinks that's an athletic decision. They said one of the things they found, because the Big Ten Conference has very strict academic requirements as well. In fact, I think the official name is the Conference of Administrators. It's not really called the Big Ten, but um, they, they felt their academic level rose because they had to achieve certain academic benchmarks. And I, you know, strategic is kind of, it's kind of like a conference. You know, we have the strategic conference, we have other conferences, we have the private equity conferences. It's kind of interesting. Uh, when you look at it that way, a lot of it is just about uh, groups getting together and, and benchmarking against each other.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, uh, a, a good segue here. Uh, I know you're a big Colts fan. Huge. Which mm-hmm. my wife grew up in Baltimore in the fifties and sixties. So she still hasn't gotten over. that. <laughs> oh, <no>. You know, <laughs> when,
1: when we play a game in Baltimore, they won't even put the Colts up there. They call us Indy on the scoreboard.
0: <laughs> I know it's just, they just can't get over it. And, uh, Actually, I think we've talked about this. Have you ever seen the movie and the band played on the documentary about? No,
1: the, but you've told me about it. Yeah,
0: the Baltimore Colts band and they hid the uniforms, and it's a great, great uh, thirty for thirty. So, uh, I, I know you're also a big fantasy football player. So, I mean, what are you, what are you gonna do? I mean, what's, what's the word this fall? Oh, I,
1: I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I Every time I hear, so I have fantasy football on my cell phone, and every time yeah. I get an alert, you know, it plays yeah. the music. NFL music I'm like oh it's coming back I try to read it as fast as I can um I I do hope sports finds their way back just for our country you know um we um are rooted it's a, a way we all come together we're rooted in sports um it's a camaraderie thing for us regardless if you can have fans in the stand I really hope we find a way to bring yeah. sports back because it, I think for our own morale, um, it's, um, it'll be important. I think. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think so too. I mean, we're, we're so many conversations and it's just, it's just, a, it's an outlet we have that we don't have and it, it'll, it would be very healthy if it did figure out ways to do it, whether or not there are fans there, there's always going to be fans cause we can see it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, agree. So, uh, you've, you've achieved so much, um uh, single mother going back to school raising your family you've got grandkids and you get on your boat and have a good time what what we have we really do have an industry that um is i would say dominated by strong women we have a lot of women coming into this industry what what's your kind of message to young women who are at that crossroads thinking jesus is this is this something i could do for the my career you know is this you know how would i do this is that what, what's what's your message to those those women out there that are, are thinking about making this a career?
1: Oh, they'll be so much smarter than we ever were. Um, you know, uh, there are uh, the, the tools that are out there today. Just like we, how we talked about how we're managing our practices through this COVID crisis with you know, a remote remote workforce and Zoom meetings. And I don't want to put all the stereotypes on women, but I do think that we think a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So um, we, you know, we are uh, multitaskers. We um, are a bit, I th- maybe a little bit more empathetic. Um, but I, I, I think, um, I do think that we are going to have the requisite skills that are going to help lead us out of this crisis mm-hmm. and. Um, and I think, um, I'm, I'm very excited for women in the healthcare industry. I think they're poised to lead.
0: Well, there's been, and there's been so much conversation the last eight weeks about, um, you know, the mom, mom now that's working at home online and, you know, the kids go to mom, the little kids go to mom, let's face it. And just now, and they're teaching as well. And, and it's just a lot of juggling. Um, I keep on my wall in the office, um, I think these were national organizations, business men's organizations back in the 40s. But my grandfather, Tom Kelly in Fort Wayne, he was a business leader in Fort Wayne. He was speaking to the Quest Club in Fort Wayne about the challenge of single mothers in the, during World War II. And uh, it was an, it's just interesting that it's, it's, uh, there's always been these challenges, you know, all the men went off to war and the women were left behind to kind of run everything. And that generation figured it out, and those strong women, you know, really drove a lot of policy over the years. And I'm, I'm just wondering now if we're seeing the same kind of a repetition of that over the next year or two or more. You know, it yeah. could be interesting. Yeah. It, will yeah. be.
1: it will be. I have this friend that uses the phrase, the future is female. So, mm, um, there you
0: go. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there may be some men, especially in Congress, that might not agree with that but uh <laughs> bet generally around my house, the future is female. <laughs> we have, we have two boys and two, we have two sons and two daughters, but uh, generally it's the daughters and, and my wife that drive the vacations and everything else. So uh, general generally is around here. So anyway, well, Linda, thank you for this hour. Uh, they're, they're great conversations. We appreciate your leadership and uh, leadership on advocacy. You, 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 uh, I think you and I met in Washington, D.C. at a meeting when I was first coming back into,
1: into yeah. RBMA.
0: We had a iced tea maybe when you were going different ways. But uh, you've uh, you've been a great contributor. Yeah, I appreciate right. it. I, I understand why you've been successful. And uh, hopefully it's going to gonna be, be my count. honor
1: to serve. And yeah. uh, I'll look forward to um, hopefully we get paradigm going. And I'll yeah. look forward to being
0: when, when one of these days we'll get CMS to change that policy too that we've been fighting for for 10 years, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You data.
0: and I need to get that done this year. Huh? Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: I agree. All right, great. Well, thanks, Linda Wilgus. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Stay safe and healthy. Huh? You as
1: well. Okay, Thank take, you. Care. okay take
0: care. Take mm-hmm. care. Well, there you have Linda Wilgus in her own words. Um, Very, very interesting conversation. I uh, can't tell you how much it is a pleasure to work with Linda as an association leader. And uh, I can tell you the folks at Northwest Radiology, the physicians, the staff are fortunate to have her uh, leading their organization. Uh, Linda has a wealth of experience, as she said, uh, participating or uh, uh, being uh, involved with federal healthcare care programs as a patient, as a mother, uh, and that's a very interesting perspective for her to share. So uh, thanks all for listening. Uh, I hope you'll all join me uh, on May the 28th, Thursday afternoon, May the 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern time for our Word with Bob live broadcast. We have um, an outstanding look at uh, how we're going to kind of uh, reopen radiology and um, uh, you'll be uh, all getting emails about that and invitations uh, for our Word with Bob live broadcast on May the 28th. So thanks. I hope everyone has a uh, great Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we're going to social distance hot dogs and, and uh, hamburgers and cookouts, but uh, we'll figure out a way to do it. We always do. So take care. Have a safe uh, Memorial Day. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you on May the 28th. Take care. Hey, a word with Bob listeners. RBMA is pleased to announce the formation of our new RBMA Foundation for Education and Research. Through this foundation, we will support education and research programs for the betterment of radiology management and to engage in philanthropy for individuals in need. So please support our mission by considering a financial gift so that we can make a difference in our practices and our communities. Visit, in fact, go today. In fact, go right now. Visit www.rbma.org forward slash donate and donate some money to the RBMA Foundation for Education and Research. Believe me, you'll get your dollars back in spades.